Who is Alan Donegan? Who is this voice in the dark? Rebelling, entrepreneuring. Where does his drive come from? How does he bounce back from failure? How does he focus when he has all those wonderful ideas jumping around in his head like toddlers in a brain-sized bouncy house? And finally, in this episode of The Rebel Entrepreneur, what advice would you give me, your host, Andrew Shridhar, former Navy SEAL and now corporate warrior with a family, about getting started? Before this episode is over, Alan will either be crying on my Oprah couch or jumping on it like Tom Cruise, so stay tuned. This is not a test. This is a takeover. The extraordinary belongs to those that create it. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun, and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. Alan, such a pleasure to talk to you. I've got tons of questions to ask you, but the first one that's been on my mind for a while is, is Pop-Up Business School, P-U-B-S, a backronym? Does it intentionally (laughs) reference pints of beer at the pub? No, it was an unfortunate mistake that actually got called out. The Minister for Employment at the time actually called us pubs in the Houses of the Parliament. I just put my head in my hand going, I do not want to be known by the acronym pubs. That is not what I aimed for. So I'm quite quite pleased we changed to Rebel Business School. Ah, somehow I missed that. I didn't catch up on that. Okay, great. So serious question here, Alan. You're 12 years old. You're with your little brother. Your dad comes home with a heavy black suitcase. What's in it and how does that change your life? I do remember that moment. I don't know if you're just making up that moment, but I do actually remember that moment when my dad came home with a massive black suitcase stuffed full of cash and he kind of tipped it out on the floor and enlisted my brother and I to count the notes and put all the Queen's heads the right way round because he liked to have them neat and ordered so they could then put rubber bands around them and do whatever he did. But it was definitely a strange moment of when your dad brings home a massive briefcase full of money. And at the time, I thought this was normal to have, there would always be a hundred grand in the fridge or in the coal bucket or somewhere. I thought this was normal. You later realize I did not lead a normal life. That is not normal at all. (laughs) Uh, I mean, that could start so many movies. Your dad could be an assassin, (laughs) all sorts of things. It sounds from reading your blog that in a way that started the entrepreneurial wheels spinning in your head. What did you learn from your dad about entrepreneurship for better or for worse? Oh, wow. Like so many things, so many things. I think he's one of the most charismatic people you will ever meet. Unbelievably charismatic, confident, and he could get anyone to believe anything And his key was getting himself to believe it unequivocably first. And I think there is a line for entrepreneurship between self-delusion and like actually believing what you're doing. And my dad was able to go to self-delusion and then get everyone else to believe the same thing. It was unbelievably charismatic. And I saw the power of that. I also saw the damage it caused when he didn't deliver on what he said he was going to do, when the promises didn't work. And... I think the power of charisma can be used for good or used for bad. 100%. Let's dig into that. Not in a political uh, world domination (laughs) sense, but 
in all the classes that I've taken in business school, discussions with VCs, that sort of stuff, venture capitalists, there is a lot of mention of that belief in the entrepreneur themselves. It seems like if you are trying to get outside investment, and I realize that Rebel Business School and this podcast are largely about not getting investment, especially not taking on debt, but investors can sense if someone doesn't believe mm. in their own idea, doesn't believe in themselves. And pulling the trigger and starting up, your coaching series has been fabulous to listen to, seems a lot about faith, that screw it, let's do it mentality of Richard Branson. Where do you need to be in terms of your own faith in your ideas and just pulling the trigger, getting out of paralysis by analysis? So I think you've got two different bits there. The sort of getting out of paralysis by analysis is the taking action piece and just choosing one thing. And you mentioned the coaching series. There's the one with Jamie, Jamie Dillon, the artist. And at the start, she's got all of these ideas and it could be this, it could be fantasy art, it could be a comic book, it could be kids art, and she was lost. And her reflection as you get towards the end of the coaching series is it didn't actually matter which one I picked. I just had to pick one. And I think so many people are trying to pick the thing, the one thing that is going to blow up, make it good, do it. And I'm not sure it exists. Just pick anything. Like pick the one that excites you. Pick the one that you think is going to make you money. Pick the one you're passionate about that feels right in your heart and make it happen. And that is how you get going. Yeah. Is it just fear of failure that prevents people from picking? I know Jamie in the coaching series referenced this artistic sensibility. And I know you had some, some pushback against that. And she instantly regretted the question. Um, she was very self-aware at that moment um, to give her credit where credit is due. Where do you think that comes from? Because it really does seem at the heart of people's difficulty getting started. I think as you and there's other people out there in the space who have all the tools, you have the tips, you have the hacks, the principles of you know, how do you do marketing? How do you build a product? All that sort of stuff. I've got a lot of knowledge in the product sense from being a product manager at places like Amazon, elsewhere. But really, the getting started is the hardest part for a lot of people. And they can learn, at least my belief is, they can learn the tips and tricks along the way. So first of all, do you agree with that? Second of all, whether you do, whether you don't, where at the core does that difficulty getting started come from? So starting with the first one, can you learn it? Absolutely. I believe all of this is learnt. I was not born an entrepreneur. I did not pop out of the womb going, two for one, would you like it, doctor? That's not how it started. <laughs> Although some of you may believe that's how it started. Hopefully Jamie doesn't draw a comic of me as a kid trying to sell stuff. It's all learnt. You just kind of gather the skills and start working out what to do as you go. Then it brings us on to if it's all learnt, how do you start? If we realize what stops people starting, it's fear of picking the wrong thing. So I've got three options. What if I get it wrong? I'd like to say, well, there is no right answer, so it doesn't really matter. Fear of missing out. If I pick the wrong thing, I won't get the right thing and I'm missing out. So therefore, that brings the paralysis. And well, actually, the quickest way to miss out is to do nothing. The best way to do it is to just pick anything. And I don't know if you heard the sort of two hill analogy. So imagine you are, Andrew, imagine you are sat in the middle between two large hills. They might be business ideas metaphorically, and you've got to pick one, which one to run up. 
and you're sat in the middle and you're doing a SWOT analysis and you're thinking about it and you're wondering which is the right hill. And then there's me. I've just set off up one of the hills on the right and I've got halfway up and gone, this is the wrong hill. And I've come all the way back down and I've gone halfway up the second one before the person in the middle has even done their SWOT analysis. And you can never know which is the right hill until you have a go at it. I think in business, if you're doing the business the way we talk about, which is mini experiments and testing things out, there's no real risk to running up a hill. Just have a go. The worst thing is you learn something and then it doesn't work and you run up another hill. I think in traditional business terms, you write a business plan, you get VCs, you get funding, you do all this stuff. If it goes wrong at that point, it's painful. You had better do your SWOT analysis. Analysis is... I've said that completely wrong. You do, <laughs> you've better done your homework and you know what you're doing because otherwise it's painful. And I think people try and apply that type of thinking to the type of methodology of business we're starting up and it doesn't work. You need a different way of thinking for each side of that entrepreneurial paradigm, prism, thingy, hill. I'm so eloquent today, Andrew. You're going to have to excuse the fact I'm mixing my metaphors and terms. It's great. It's fine. There's a metaphor that I like, which I I thought you were going to mention there, which is, I believe I'm pronouncing this correctly, but Buridan's ass or mule. Mule is an ass, I think. Whatever. Donkey. (laughs) So, uh, but it's Buridan's ass, right? And it's starving because it has a carrot on either side. And they're equidistant. And supposedly, because neither one is closer, the donkey starves and never actually gets to a carrot. So that's kind of the the mental model that that I use in my head. If we think about you coming back down that hill and passing that person in the middle doing doing the SWOT analysis, (laughs) what principles or, or maybe by examples in businesses that you started, how should people know when to pivot? When have they done enough? Because sometimes you just haven't done enough, right? When I built digital products and software at companies, sometimes you just haven't marketed enough Mm -hmm. or you haven't built enough features, right? Minimum viable product is the term of art there. And maybe it's too minimum and it's in no way viable. (laughs) It's a product, (laughs) but it's neither one one of those other things. It doesn't meet the other two letters. So just a little bit more effort and that feature might succeed, that product might succeed. So for someone practically starting from scratch a business, no debt, no investment, simple experiments day by day, when do they give up? That's a pejorative. I don't mean it that way, but <laughs> but when do they when do they switch to something else? No, I like being clear. I like yeah. clarity. So in terms of minimal viable product, I think you don't even need that sell the idea. So there is a way to sell before you create. So even if you haven't built, you've built one feature, but features five to six are coming later and like just sell it and then we'll know. I always remember meeting a guy that was doing, what do you call it? Like protein shake bottles. And he created a new design and put it on Kickstarter. And when I was telling him to pre-sell, he said, well, I've tried that. I did the Kickstarter, but I didn't make my target. I was very disappointed. I said, that's interesting. Let's look at the analytics. And I think he'd had a thousand people visit the page and 10 people had paid for the product. And was like, well, okay, that's not a bad exchange rate. That's not horrendous. That's okay. But what you haven't done is gone out broad enough. A thousand people 
visiting a web page is probably not going to get you the sales you want. Really, you needed to put it in front of 100,000 people or more if we could through the marketing. And you're absolutely right. Like the size of your effort determines the size of your results. So my first question is, how many people have you put this idea in front of? And if we get a big answer, I go, that's interesting. Okay, so what's the feedback? If no one's bought, what's the feedback? And then I have three clear criteria for what I think determines whether a mini experiment is successful or not, like whether to continue or whether to give up. And the first is, did you sell any? <laughs> did you make any money? <laughs> what happened? That's always fascinating. The second is, did they enjoy it? Whoever they are, your customers, like, did they enjoy it? Would they come back? Did you get good testimonials? Did they have fun? And then the third is, did you have fun? Did you enjoy running it? Did you like it? Do you want to do more of it? And I think those three things, did you sell it? Did they enjoy it? Did you enjoy it? Give you an idea of whether you should continue or not. And it's personal then within those questions, how much money did you need to make? Do you see it being successful in the future? If the customers didn't quite like it, but they've said they would like it if you did this, is that enough to keep you going? So you don't have to pass all three tests, but you do have to know if you you think you can and you do want to keep going. I love your emphasis in the podcast and it seems everything you do on fun. I, I know, <laughs> I, I believe in your intro to this show, you use the word cool to describe businesses, building cool businesses, right? And I think that in too many areas of entrepreneurship, people underemphasize the having fun component. It's just, it's just grueling and it's stressful. And I'm sure it's all of those things, but I like the emphasis on fun because otherwise, why not just keep a day job if it's not fun? Yeah, if it's not fun. Why are you doing it? What is the point? And there's an interesting side effect of fun, Andrew, which I don't think I've said about. They did a survey, and you probably know the answer from where I'm going for this, but bear with me. They did a survey of why people would switch suppliers. So if you were business to business sense, why would you switch from supplier to A to supplier B? And there was all the ones you would expect. Quality, service, and price were the top three. But the surprise one 70% of businesses said they would switch suppliers if the new supplier was more fun. And if you think about it, <laughs> right. like I have to turn up at my job and do this stuff. If roughly the price is the same, the quality is the same, and the service is same, but that lady over there is way more fun to work with, who am I going to choose? Yeah. I do think that we post hoc rationalize our emotional decisions as humans, just everybody, I think most of us, even those who are aware of the concept that been popularized by Daniel Kahneman and others in terms of how this works, right? But even when people are aware, you still do it. I find myself doing it. I worked with someone on Fiverr the other day for my own podcast, and I just liked working with him. And we, we didn't talk on the phone. It was just messaging, but just the things he said, the, his vocabulary, the lingo, and just very cordial you know, it almost at the end of the day probably didn't matter what the result was because I would have given him a second shot I and a third shot and a fourth shot because I just like working with the guy. So totally, totally understand where you're coming from there. And then you come up with reasons. 
They're good price. (laughs) They're good for my business. We should keep them around because we need to explain our emotions with logic. Right, right. He was responsive. He was, you know, (laughs) like, which is important. But yeah, we, we all rationalize. Talking about that pivot, maybe there's an aspect of failure there. Many times on the podcast, you've been very open. In in a way, it's almost like therapy for everyone listening (laughs) because you're very vulnerable about yourself and your own struggles. Meanwhile, through the coaching series and, and all the other things you do, you help people with their inner demons. You've talked about how you've just broken down and cried. You'd struggled at, at certain transition periods. You got fired at 28. I have been relieved of positions myself, whether that was <laughs> myself on a personal performance level, my first job at Amazon. I came in to do this awesome project, which probably shouldn't talk about the specifics there. And after a few months, I can come up with all sorts of excuses, right? But that's not the point. I was moved on to a different job and someone else jumped in to do that project that I had joined the company to do. I've also been the subject of larger scale layoffs of groups of people because a company can't raise another round of funding or, or whatever. So I've been at those moments too. You got fired at 28, I believe it was. What did that feel like? What did you learn from that? And how did you get out of that rut? I wish I could tell you why I signed a document saying I can't. That's another story. What did it feel like? It felt horrendous at the time. I thought the world was ending. I at least had some money saved. They paid me some money to disappear. But then I was like, what do I want to do? Where am I going? And I started searching for other jobs. And my parents persuaded me, my mum persuaded me to sign up for job seekers benefits. So when you don't have a job, they pay you so much a week. And I think that was a huge learning because I would go into the job center once every two weeks and tell them what I'd been up to. The place smelt bad, smelt of stale alcohol and weed. And the advisor grilled me on what I'd been doing. I felt like I was a criminal and had done something wrong. Didn't feel nice. And it actually sucked more motivation and energy out of me than it did to help me make progress. And actually, after a while, I was like, the cost of going there is bigger than the amount of money they're giving me. And I stopped going and just started to focus on what do I want to do. And that really freed me to start looking forwards about what I wanted to build. And after... I know, 15, 20 job interviews. I just went to myself, there isn't the job I want. I'm just going to have to build my own thing. No one's going to promote you to owner. No, no one's going to promote me to owner. Although like, I was getting close to it, the last one, until I messed it all up. But what did I learn? I learned you had to make it happen yourself. Like It wasn't just going to happen for me. I had to make it happen. And I started to. And it was very hit and miss, Andrew, like, Sometimes things would work, sometimes they wouldn't. It was very hit and miss, but I learned it was up to me. For those people who are at those very low periods in their life, whether it's getting fired, a relationship disruption, something else, how can they generate that positive energy? I've been there too with the negative energy, not necessarily going to what in the States we call the unemployment office, but definitely in jobs or situations, right? We all we all do. That's the human struggle. It's we all life, get these periods yeah. where it's just negative energy around you. 
And not everyone is adept at finding that positive energy and getting away from those negative forces. So I think it was in the other takeover a while ago with Sean Jenkins, which was amazing. Hopefully I'm in some way living up to his <laughs> uh, precedent here. He talked about listening to Brian Tracy tapes and mm. I actually had never listened. I'd heard of him before, just started listening to a few just to get a, a little sample and they are amazing. But what worked for you in that moment or if you're ever down or, or you've got people who are looking for that advice, where do they find it? So I think, let me give you a whole bunch of ideas because different things work for different people. So I'll give you a whole bunch of ideas and some of these work amazingly well for me. The first is as much as you can and minimize your time around the things that are sucking your energy. So for me, it was stop going to the job center because that was killing me. And as much as you can, minimize this negative stuff. Then it's about getting yourself in a positive state. And this is different for everyone. I do listen to personal development CDs. Like they have changed the way I think. They've changed my programming. They've changed everything. I bounce around. I go for a hug with my wife. I walk. Exercise is phenomenal at raising endorphins, changing the way you feel. Eating right, not comfort food. Because here's the thing is my go-to strategy back in the day was to have a large box of cookies all at once. And it reliably changed the way I feel and sent me to sleep. <laughs> and I'd have no energy and I'd get nothing done. And then I'd feel even more guilty afterwards. So looking after yourself, the salad, the sleep, the health. There were so many ways you can pick yourself up. And I just finished this one section with an expression that's really hit me recently. There's this talk of self-care being have a bubble bath, have some chocolate, get a massage. And actually for me, the best form of self-care is to build a life you don't want to run from. So self-care is doing the stuff to build the life you actually want, not going and getting pampered. Yeah, that really resonates with me, having been in the US military and been re reading a lot of books from my brethren from the SEAL teams and have interviewed some from the podcast with great things to say, and it's good to reconnect with them. But one guy, Rich Devini, he's written this book called The Attributes. It's great for leaders, for those of you who are entrepreneurs or, or entrepreneurs, gonna trip something. Um, <laughs> you know, eventually if you hire employees, it's, it's a great book to read about that stuff. But he reinforces in that book that you feel better about yourself and you evolve when you do hard things. And I find if I'm eating dessert, watching a bunch of Netflix, that sort of stuff, at the end of the day, it doesn't make me feel great. That kind of vacation from reality just punts the ball down the road for the things that you actually need to do to improve your situation. And maybe you need a 10 minute vacation from reality, like turn Netflix on for 20 minutes, watch Too Hot to Handle, which is the most dreadful show in the world, uh, <laughs> like have a break and then come back at it. Like it's okay to take breaks to reset, but it's never going to be the long term route to happiness. And food was my Netflix. That was like, okay. I'm just going to eat bad food. That will change how I feel doesn't long-term win. You open the door. So too hot to handle. I haven't seen it. It sounds like <laughs> it's kind of an anti-vacation or something. So I, I will be sure to either not check it out or to check it out when I don't want to get sucked in to something else. 
Avoid at what? all costs. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, in it, I mean, while while we're at it, right, this 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 takeover, part of it is getting to know you at a deeper level. So when you do dive into Netflix and you're not trying to make yourself be miserable watching Netflix, what are you and Katie watching these days? Oh, I don't know if you know this, but I'm the biggest Marvel geek out there. I love the Marvel movies. And Disney Plus has blessed us with a set of series. And I'm right in the middle of Loki. It is phenomenal. Episode five comes out today. This is my reward this evening. I cannot wait for it. Like, yeah. Like, I love a good series just like anyone else. Like, I love Queen's Gambit. I loved Breaking Bad. There's so many different shows that I've loved over the years. And I love a bit of entertainment. But you're never going to get the same feeling. After you've watched three episodes of a show, you'll never get the same feeling from having created something. And I actually get the reverse. If I watch too much TV, I feel like my life is slipping away. If I create, I feel alive. I feel like I'm building. I feel like I'm doing something. So I try to spend more of my time. Don't get me wrong. I still weak occasionally to a good show. But I try to spend more of my time building, creating, giving, making, actively doing something that lifts me up. Do you think everyone at their core is the same in that regard? Or do you think that only some people really get that juice out of creating? That's a fascinating question. I like to think it's everyone. I really genuinely do that the human condition, if you talk about what humans need to be happy, like we're talking Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it helps to have like a roof over our heads, some warmth, some food. But once you've done that, what actually makes you happy? He's got self-actualization right at the top of his thing, which my version of that is becoming who you want to become, creating, making, building you, thinking. And I think the two that really strike me as long-term sustainable routes to happiness are contribution and growth. And are you learning and developing? Are you getting better? And are you contributing to the world? And I don't care what business you're building, you're contributing. If you've got a pizza business, you are making my life happier. Food is great. If you've got, I don't know, a cleaning business, you're making people's lives happier. It doesn't actually matter what it is. Are you learning and contributing and growing? That's the sustainable way to happiness for, I think, nearly everyone. Just a lot of people haven't realized it yet. I love that message of empowerment, growth mindset. I've got to believe it's the case too, because the alternative is just too depressing. <laughs> I, I so agree with you there. Sometimes people say like, should I do this? Should I bother? And I'm like, what's the alternative? Call up in a ball in the corner and just give up on the world. Uh, it doesn't sound <laughs> that exciting to me. And I might be completely wrong. And I think this is the interesting bit, Andrew. I'm probably not right, but I don't see a better way to live. Something that a lot of would-be founders or founders can relate to is the idea of being a contrarian. Mm. I'm definitely a contrarian. There was an exercise in business school where we had to write letters or emails to those who knew us really well, our parents, best friends from childhood, something like that, and asking for both the positives, but also the negatives in the hopes that we might internalize those negatives. And one thing that my father said as a, an improvement area was being a contrarian all the time. 
I actually, I mean, it's easy for me to be biased, but I actually think that that's a skill or an attribute that can be an asset to someone looking to do something artistic or something entrepreneurial, something against the grain, improve society. Without that nature, it's hard to imagine that one would come up with the ideas or have the energy or the chutzpah, as we might say, to go and do the thing. So I could ask you how you got that way, but I think the more interesting question to me is, since you appear to be a contrarian, who do you actually listen to? Who do you take advice from? Because the conventional wisdom out there is seek mentors right away, learn things from other people. Some people might even say work for a big company for 10, 15 years, and then you'll know all the stuff you need to know about that industry (laughs) to, to do something else. Where do you go to when you need some advice? It's a wonderful question. Andrew, before I answer, are you always contrarian? I am not always contrarian, but I'm contrarian a lot. Because I think actually the power is selective contrarianism where you decide that's the good thing. Because if you're always contrarian and someone says, don't murder someone, and you go, why not? I want to. Um, In normal society, this is not good. And I actually think I love to listen to advice and I will ask all sorts of people what they think, but I then make my own internal decisions. And I think, who do I listen to more than anyone else? This is going to sound quite arrogant, but me? Like People say, you should do this, you should do that. And I select all the ideas and then go to which one feels right to me. And actually, it's very easy to do the opposite because people will give you all the advice. Be louder, be quieter, be faster, be smaller. Like They'll give you all the advice and then you just have to pick the one you want and where you go. I do love the question, what is the opposite? One of my favorite questions to ask, so if I'm ever stuck, what is the opposite of what I'm doing? How could the opposite be good? And I will come up with ideas. Sometimes I ditch them right there and then because the opposite is not a good idea. But sometimes genius stuff comes out of that question. And I think it's the selective contrarianism of coming up with the ideas and then going, do I actually want to do this? Would that actually be good in this situation? I think that's that's really good. But I definitely am more of a, tell me your ideas and then I will analyze them myself and work out whether I think they're good or not. I love the asking oneself, what is the opposite of what I'm doing right now? Charlie Munger, who is Warren Buffett's longtime partner, partner yeah. calls that inversion, which I don't, I mean, the guy is super smart. I don't love the phrase inversion because it's hard for me to remember what the thing is, but it, you know- <laughs> Opposite is is kind of synonymous, but easier to remember. I don't do that enough, despite my contrarianism. So I think that's a great practice to figure out what what you're not doing or what everyone in the industry is is not doing. Well, it's really interesting because you look at how do you stand out. If we were to take this to a marketing standpoint, I remember going to hire an accountant and we interviewed four or five. They all said the same thing. They all said, we help you take care of your numbers so you can make better decisions. We give great service. We focus on the details. Like they all said the same thing. Like if one of them had just gone, what's the opposite? And come up with just one new idea, they probably would have impressed me. But they all sounded so boring and corporate. And the accountant, we actually went, just asked me a bunch of questions and got interested in my business and didn't really pitch me anything. And uh, she's wonderful. Her name's Emma. She's absolutely amazing. Amazing. 
Alan, I come from a medical family. I'm one of the few people who didn't become a doctor or a nurse or a <laughs> physician's assistant or a hospital administrator. So now is the time of the show that I'm going to call The Doctor Is In. So Ooh. Dr. Donegan, I am your patient for this part of the show. And I think that a lot of people can relate to this, which is I've wanted to be an entrepreneur for as long as I can remember. The only thing I wanted to do more than that was to be a Navy SEAL. So I've checked that box. Wow. And really enjoyed that. I've been a, like I said in the intro, a corporate warrior for about 10 years now. Never seemed to find that thing that really gave me that juice, as I called it earlier, of creation. And of course, being the contrarian, I like the autonomy and being able to do it my way, right? I think everyone who wants to be an entrepreneur or is an entrepreneur likes that, at least to some degree. My girlfriend likes to call my disease, if you will. She's diagnosed me with starditis. <laughs> and so got an MBA. And I, I've got, I think, what, what I call treats syndrome, which is someone who's done fairly well in school. They've checked the boxes. They can do the corporate thing. And you kind of pass the test, you get a treat. Pass the next test, you get a treat. And then lo and behold, after you finish your education, the real world isn't like that. The real world, there's infinite options and there's no clear path to getting what you want. So I'm curious what your advice is for someone who may or may not have burned the ships at this point, <laughs> to use the Cortez analogy. They have realized that they are unemployable, if you will. What are the pitfalls someone could fall into, right? I could see maybe picking a suboptimal idea as an example, just to get to some sort of cash, even if it isn't the thing you enjoy. But I'm just kind of curious what you think about a situation like that, a personality like that, and what advice you would give me as your prototypical patient here. So I think thought number one, as you speak, is a suboptimal idea is better than doing nothing at all. And quite often we're paralyzed by making the right choice. You've just got to make a choice. It's never going to be right. And it's okay. We can change along the way. Then I'd start to ask you some questions. Do you have a bunch of ideas you're trying to choose from? I do. I do. Cool. And what has stopped you making a decision so far? Or have you made a decision? I just don't know about it. I would say it's a lot of things. One thing is negative energy from some of my recent employment, just incredible frustration. And some of that is just me, but if it's not fun and the situation is not optimal, one's talents are perhaps underutilized, it's frustrating. And so that negative energy really made it difficult to put the positive into other things. Granted, I've got a podcast, I write a lot, that sort of stuff. But it, as far as creating a business, to some degree that has held me back. The other is just the universe of ideas sort of situation. I come up with 10 new ideas every single day. So that's a, a part of it as well. You come up with 10 new ideas a day. Is there one that keeps coming back to you? Like a bad smell you can't get rid of? There is. There's probably three of them. So I wish it was only one. <laughs> but There's one bad smell is better than three bad smells. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's right. That's right. They're, all, they're always in my head. Okay. Is there one of them that you could sell this week? 
Probably. Probably. Oh, maybe I can ask a, a question to a question, which is there's advice from some people in the podcastosphere, the entrepreneurship space, that says, go for the moonshot, because if you miss, you've probably still achieved something great. Meanwhile, those of us with families, maybe who live in high cost of living areas, things like that, that may not be a very responsible way to approach things. And we talked earlier in this episode about your familial experience with that, perhaps. So I think that's something I'm, I'm struggling with, right? Do I do a business that is kind of getting to cash as fast as possible? That seems logical, totally logical. I hear you say that on every episode, right? Let's sell something, <laughs> sell something. today. Please, because if you don't sell anything, you don't have a business. That's, I guess, the 101 version of this. At the same time, I sometimes worry that with those sorts of businesses, maybe it doesn't match kind of my ambitions. I don't know if you encounter that a lot. You probably encounter that in your own life or with, with people who come to Rebel Business School. So I think you've got to balance some of these things. Sometimes the moonshot is such a big dream. It's such a big dream that people don't know where to start and they don't start. And I've met so many people that are big dreamers and they remain big dreamers and they never do anything about it. And they're wonderful. They're passionate. They're excited. They're thoughtful. And I love it. They're never going to do anything about it because it's such a big dream. They can't start. And there has to be this balance of the dream at the top and what do I actually do today? And if we can take the dream and find out what we do today, we can start working towards it in a way that produces money, but maybe isn't directly at it. Like if your dream is a piece of software that would cost a million dollars to develop that would change the way X industry works, that's a huge cool dream. What can we provide them this week that we could get going? And I don't know if you listened to the episode with Sean Jenkins right at the start. I don't know if it's even in the episode, but he tells this story of starting Benefit Focus. It's a huge business. And he went to see these people to pitch them the software. And it was a garage. And the guy said, look, software sounds great. But the one problem we've had is I can never tell when people's birthdays are to be able to send them cards for all the staff. And Sean had this decision of, do I stick to my guns and sell the benefit-focused software, or do I create this guy a database for birthdays and help him remember them? And he did the birthday thing, and he took the money, and he got going, and that led to the next deal and the next deal. But he took the money, and it was a, it was a tangent. It was a right turn, but it still led to where he wanted to get to eventually. And sometimes I think... We get so hooked on, my dream is just perfect, is the way it is. It has to be that, that then we don't ever take action on what is available right now. And I think you don't have to sacrifice the dream for the action, but if you don't loosen the grip on the dream a little bit and start, you will never get to that dream. It just won't happen. So that's kind of where I was going with my questions and you might say, well, this particular idea I might be able to sell, like uh, start asking questions of, are you excited? What could you sell now? Where could you go? Who you could speak to? What problem could we solve? And we'd ask a bunch of questions and then like, just let's just sell something, Andrew. Let's just get someone to buy something of you to get some cash because you've got responsibilities and we have to look after them. Don't become my dad. It's not a good idea. 
Well, that sounded wrong in so many ways. I regret that <laughs> sentence almost immediately, but I think you know what I meant. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And I've got, I I've got three kids. I was asking to be adopted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that offer was on the table. Um, I'll, I'll need more than an hour with you to think through that. Um, I've got three kids and they're very expensive. Uh, so, <laughs> but, but what I'm taking away from this is sound advice not rocket science necessarily, but some of the best advice is the simplest advice, which is to to recap both for myself and, and people listening is head down the road, take the right turns or left turns you need to. And if someone is offering you money, then you should take the money and do the thing. Because again, if you don't sell, you don't have a business. Well, especially if you don't have any other options. Like, and I think sometimes people go, oh, there's this money over there but they don't have something else that they're doing instead. I do think if you've got two options on the table and there's two people offering you 15 grand or whatever it is, then pick the one that leads to the mission. But if you've got one offer, the universe has said, here's an opportunity. Why didn't you have a go? Take what the universe offered and have a go. And I think I've been guilty of not doing that because I'm like, oh, is it right? Is it not? And I do all this stuff. It's like, well, just take it. By the, you would have done it by the time you faffed about and thought about it, Donegan. Get on with it. Yeah, and sometimes I want to slap younger Alan around a bit and say, just do it. It'll be okay. <laughs> well, Dr. Donegan, I will let you off the hook from this clinic visit. So, Alan, before I let you go, before we wrap this thing up, you are wearing a Star Wars t-shirt. I can only see the top part of it. It's extremely... Oh, it's a rainbow Darth Vader. I love it. Can you please tell the audience which episode of the franchise you consider the best and why? Oof. Oof. Of the Star Wars franchise. Star Wars franchise. Controversially, I'm not going to choose one of the main nine. I'm going to choose Rogue One just because it was such a like they built an entire movie of the line, we lost a lot of good people that day. And what a movie it was about getting the plans for the Death Star, how it fitted in. And I was just blown away by that movie and really, really loved it. And I think I'm sort of, I'm 42, so I didn't quite grow up with the original ones. And I was a bit too old for the middle ones. But that, that just, I love that. And it might be controversial. Tell me your thoughts. Alan, I liked you before. <laughs> now, uh -oh. may maybe I love you. <laughs> Consider yourself adopted. We can work out the paperwork <laughs> later. <laughs> Katie may have issues with the whole thing, but we'll work it out. I loved Rogue One. I'm 43 as well. It is controversial, but that movie blew me away. In so many ways, in so many ways, the way it ties in seamlessly with the episode before and the episode after the ending with Darth Vader at his utmost. I, I don't think you see him in that warrior mode in many of the other films, especially once he's got the suit on and is actually Darth Vader as opposed to Anakin in more human form before. And... I love the espionage elements of the whole thing, the covert op thing, which I can relate to, and the idea that 
actually military operations and, and stuff like that is not all shooting and battle. There's a lot of other stuff that goes on and ultimately a lot of sacrifice as well. And that was the biggest thing for me that really resonated. So you passed the test, Alan, <laughs> on your own show. <laughs> Thank you very much. I feel successful. <laughs> well, we should wrap it up. Alan, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for everything you do. We talked about so much on this episode. We talked about how your entrepreneurial journey began and maybe some pitfalls about responsibility. And I, I really wanted to probe into more of what you consider being responsible and, and your societal impact, but maybe subject for a different episode sometime. We talked about how to get oneself out of a negative rut, a negative mind space. You diagnosed me and my starditis and, and gave me some practical tips that I hope don't just benefit me and that benefit everyone else out there. And, and mainly just, again, you talk about this a lot, but how to pick an idea, which is a lot simpler than a lot of us make it out to be when we're in our own head. So thank you once again. This has been a great honor and privilege for me to take over your show. And uh, I hope you and our listeners had as wonderful a time as I did. Andrew, before you go, what are you going to do differently following this? I am going to loosen the grip on the dream, but to pick actions that are consistent with the dream. I love the way that you framed that. And again, it's sometimes it's just the, the wording, I think, in one's mind of how they think about it. And I'm going to think about it that way, that I didn't go into the idea, but it has to do with kind of revolutionizing calendars and the way we all manage our time. I think it's so antiquated. Could be a huge idea. I don't think anyone's tackling it well, but that's a massive idea, right? It's like going to Mars. My name is an Elon, so I got to figure out a way to attack this idea that doesn't require a lot of capital and that makes meaningful action today. So I need to figure out what I can sell without hiring a zillion engineers and spending millions of dollars so that I can put food on the table and enjoy a wonderful business and a wonderful life. Will you let us know how you get on? Absolutely. I will keep you posted. I love that. And if people listening want to connect with you about the idea, what you've said, how do they find you? They can find me at Tree the Warrior Poet. That's S R I, the Warrior Poet on Instagram. I'm also at Shree Actually, which is more of a personal account. That's a take on Love Actually. Great movie for those who haven't seen oh, it. It's one of my favorites. We're even Great. more friends now. Exactly, exactly. And I've got the Warrior Poet podcast. And so it's a podcast about leadership, business, and a little dose of philosophy and pop culture to keep it entertaining. That sounds fantastic. Thank you for taking over the show. This has been awesome. For everyone listening, do exactly as Andrew said. Start towards the dream. Just start. Hold on to it loosely, but keep aiming towards it. Thank you for listening to The Rebel Entrepreneur. You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a rebel entrepreneur.